as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the six-fold All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast. I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot. And I am Andy Wilson, a.k.a. Citizen Bot, also a Big Shiny Robot. And it was a pretty slow week overall. Uh, the Walk finally came out in wide release, not just IMAX. But if you listened last week, you know our recommendation, if you go see it, is to only go see it IMAX. Uh, so this week we're here to talk to you about Pan, which is the... Well, I'll let Andy talk about that in a second. Um, and then the drama 99 Homes, starring Andrew Garfield. Now, Andy, you got to see Pan, and I didn't because I hear, thankfully, I had to work. Because I heard there's some, there some problems with this movie. Well, you know, Pan isn't a terrible movie, but we talked several episodes ago uh, about the problem with prequels. And whenever you take a prequel of a previously known property, you're always waiting for them to set up the pieces on the chessboard right like they were right at the beginning of the movie that you know and love. Pan fails to do even that. At the end of this movie... We haven't even gotten to, oh, well, now Pan and Hook are enemies and the Lost Boys are there. And it's like, it, it's just absolutely oh. frustrating because I have no idea what they were trying to do with this movie. So it doesn't even go that far. I mean, the, the, from the trailers and what I've seen, I kind of assumed it ends with, okay, now they hate each other and, and the Lost Boys and he are separate off, but it doesn't do that? Nope doesn't even end with that like let's think about this in terms of a superhero movie if this is the origin story of peter pan he doesn't even get his superpowers until about five minutes before the movie ends yeah you take a look at another movie that is kind of the opposite of this uh hook which is pretty divisive among amongst a lot of people but people who love it i mean Robin Williams re-gets his powers halfway through the movie, and then you've got all of that time after that. So while a movie like Hook successfully is able to mine into the goodwill and the spirit of that intellectual property that it comes out of, this just completely fails to do that. And it ends up being such a mishmash of so many different movies and motifs that you're left just wondering what the heck they were trying to do with this. So like the first 20 minutes of the movie, it takes them that long to even get to Neverland with (laughs) what what could have taken five minutes to show that Peter was orphaned in a London uh, orphanage. And then he was stolen by pirates. Instead, they spent 20 minutes dealing with what life is like in the orphanage and uh, dealing with some evil nuns who run the orphanage who are selling all the children to the pirates. And it's, it's like they keep weaving this thread and then they just completely drop the storyline and there's nothing from it the rest of the movie. The nun doesn't show up again. Uh, his best friend in the orphanage doesn't show up again. He's left behind in London. And you're like, wait, what? Why did we just spend 20 minutes developing all of this stuff just to completely drop it. So we get some whiplash then when we end up in Neverland, and suddenly we show up at this pirate mine run by Hugh Jackman as Blackbeard, and the pirates start singing Nirvana's Smells Like Teen Spirit, and they start singing uh, Beat on the Brat 
or, or no, no, Blitzkrieg Bop by the Ramones. And I'm like, oh, okay, they're going to do this kind of like a Moulin Rouge and we're going to get some modern songs in here and that's going to be fun. And no, that's it. It happens those two times. And you're like, wait, what? Why did they? What What? what, what were they doing? What's <laughs> yeah. going on here? I was uh, I was talking to some friends who had seen it that Saturday uh, at a friend's birthday party. And when they mentioned that, I had the same thought process. Like, oh, they're doing a Moulin Rouge or something cool. And they're like, oh, no, no, you just you get those songs and then nothing happens ever again. Yep. I was like, well, did they at least do a hard knock life? <laughs> they're like, they should have, but no. They should have. Yeah, and then they go out into the jungle and they meet up with the natives of the island led by Princess Tiger Lily. And I'll come back to this in a second. But once they get there, it's this cool confluence of like all of these different native cultures rather than uh, being very specific about them being like Native Americans or, uh, or something. It's like a little bit of everything. There's some Maori, there's some Pacific Islander and Polynesian, there's some Native American, and it's kind of just supposed to be a representative of a mishmash of a lot of different things. It's, it's very colorful uh, and very interesting, and the movie starts getting good there and then and then it shifts gears again uh into its final act and again you're just felt feeling this whiplash now back to my biggest complaint with this movie and that is with the casting of Rooney Mara as Princess Tiger Lily as I mentioned it seemed like pretty much every other actor in this group of natives was who they purported to be uh a lot of Pacific Islander, Polynesian, uh, Maori, Native American people, uh, actors playing here as the background characters and as the secondary characters, mm-hmm. led by a white woman. <laughs> so this is like the uh, Emma Stone is playing a Pacific Islander in Aloha. Yeah, it's just, this is something Hollywood really, really, really needs to stop. And this cultural appropriation and erasure of native peoples and ethnic minorities by casting white actors in these parts. It's silly for them to think that, like, I I heard someone compare this to the idea of Moneyball. That before, uh, before they came up with Moneyball and this statistical analysis of how players are are rated and able to actually score runs in baseball, a lot of scouts and managers would actually make very irrational decisions based upon their own prejudices Mm -hmm. and what, and what they thought, Oh, well uh, he's a real clutch hitter. Well, no, actually the stats don't actually show that. So somewhere there's someone sitting in a cubicle who said, well, Rooney Mara did X numbers of box office in her last movie, and so she should get this part rather than a relative unknown. No. I guarantee you, no one went to go see this movie because Rooney Mara is Princess Tiger Lily. Like, there's no kid out there, I want to go see a movie with Rooney Mara in it. No. 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 If anything, they wanted to go see it because Wolverine was in it. Yeah, if anything. So, and oh, and you know what? Actually, Hugh Jackman's pretty good in this. And in in fact, Rooney Mara is actually pretty good in this. 
most of the cast is very good in this. Uh, Garrett Hedlund is really hamming it up and over the top as James Hook, but it works. It's a lot of fun, and he actually... It makes me want to see the next chapter of this story. Mm-hmm. When, when Pan's got his powers, and they're... And, and it goes from the two of them being friends to the two of them being enemies. I want to see that story. I I feel like almost like this is a spoiler telling people that none of that happens in this movie, but it's not. It's a warning because you go in expecting that to be the movie and it's not. And so if you're looking for that, don't go see this movie because you're not going to get it. Yeah, because um, that's what I was expecting when, you know, from the trailers and, you know the the brief bits you get to see with him and uh, you know Hook, you get the feeling like yeah it's um, kind of like an Anakin Skywalker and Obi Wan Kenobi how they started out as friends and then there was a schism and they went opposite ways and now fight and hate each other. That's what I got from the trailers and just from the basic story of hey this is the origin of Peter Pan this is how he got to be who he is, and that's how it's being marketed. So yep, how could you not go in expecting that? Yep, nope, Pan doesn't fly until the last five minutes. You don't get Tinkerbell until the last five minutes. You don't get a lot of what you expect from a Peter Pan movie until the last five minutes. And in between, you have these... It feels like five different movies they tried to cobble together into one. And I just I just don't get it. And I, I felt just thrown around between these. I felt, I felt like I... I had whiplash going between all of these different things, which I really don't get because Joe Wright as a director does very well with these period pieces and these different dramas. I loved Pride and Prejudice. I really liked Anna Karenina. I might be one of the few people who really liked that. (laughs) Possibly. Um, Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, also my favorite book. So I, am a little biased, but, um, (laughs) He does really well in these, and I'm very disappointed. I blame the script. I just think this wasn't the right way to approach a pan prequel. And rather than making him uh, a Jesus Messiah figure for uh, a bunch of native peoples led by a white lady, they could have maybe figured something else out. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm at a 4 out of 10 on this. Um, and as a warning to parents who take their kids, my kids got bored in this. Oh, that's that's like the worst thing you can say about a kid's movie. Yeah, and I mean, normally, my kids are usually pretty easy to please. Like, I swear, if I took them to go see Hotel Transylvania 2, they'd be like, that was the best movie ever. <laughs> my, my daughter walked out of Pixels and she was like, that movie was so good. I loved it. And I'm just like, no, it was not. And she was like, Pan, uh, meh. Uh, it was okay, I guess. Oh, that's the fact that your kids dislike Pan more than one of the worst movies of the year. It talks volumes. <laughs> yes. yes, it does. Uh, so moving on from that, we have a film I think both of us, I liked more than you, but I think yeah. you liked it a lot more then Pan is 99 Homes. Uh, 99 Homes actually premiered at Sundance Film Festival this year. Uh, it's directed and written by Ramin Barani. Uh, and it tells the story of kind of the, the financial market collapse and the housing bubble that burst back in 2008. 
and the repercussions and the fallout on normal people who lose their homes due to foreclosure. Um, it stars Andrew Garfield as Dennis Nash, who is going to see a judge. His house is in foreclosure, and he's trying to last dis- last ditch attempt to save it before it goes under. Gets denied and goes home and meets up with his mom, who's played by Laura Dern. And they're like, well, crap, what are we going to do? He's like, well, the judge said we can do an appeal. We have 30 days. She's like, all right, awesome, cool, let's do that. Knock, knock, knock. Who's at the door? Why, it's Michael Shannon playing uh, Rick Carver, who works for the agency and is there with the policeman to they no longer own it. It's owned by the bank. And they, they try to, like, hey, no, we're, we're appealing. We're arguing against this. And they're like, well, no, you have to get out. Uh, we're giving you two, two minutes to grab their stuff. That His son is at school to try to grab some of his things. And then proceed to stand on the, on the concrete asphalt and watch as all these people go in the house and just pretty much throw their lives and their memories and everything they own on the lawn. And like, cool, you got 24 hours to pick this up and get out of here. Where do you go? I mean, what do you do after that? So they end up going to, I assume, like a rent-by-the-week hotel-type place. You know, when they move in, they find out pretty much everyone who lives there had the same fate. They got evicted or they got foreclosed on. Now they're stuck here, um, kind of in a living hell. So Andrew Garfield, Dennis Nash, uh, he goes to look for he's – a, he's a carpenter. He works on roofs. He's a plumber, kind of a jack-of-all-trades. And he fell on hard times because these houses he was building, all the people who invested dropped out, so he wasn't getting paid. So he notices that some of the tools he had from his house were missing. So he goes back to uh, Rick Harver's you know, real estate area where he's got his – workers and gets in a fight with one of the guys saying hey you stole my work my work tools rick carver comes out stops everything and says look if you want some money come with me on a job we got to go get a bunch of stuff out of this house that got foreclosed on reluctantly he does it i mean this is the guy who just ruined his life so why would he want to go work for him but he's that desperate for money but he does it and he's the only person who will go in this house that the last people there had ruined it put the sewers back up and he's the only one who said screw it i'm going in to get to this i need money so Rick Carver takes him under his wing, kind of shows him the ropes and says, hey, if you do these things for me, I'll pay you, I'll pay you well, I'll make you my right-hand man, and you'll get rich. And all Andrew Garfield cares about is getting his house back so his family can live, you know, it's his childhood home. So he says, yes, I'll do it. So it goes on and on, gets to the point where he's now the one going out, doing the foreclosures on people with the cops, and it's almost like he's turned into the dark side. You know, he's getting a lot of money, he can buy a nice house. But at the same time, he's worried, what happens if my family finds out what I'm doing? Can I really be that bad of a person? But he's also being lured by the the riches and the wealth that could be coming his way. So in the end, he has to make a choice, you know, which way I'm going to go. I'm not going to ruin the ending because, well, there really isn't an ending, and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, but the one thing I'll say, there's there's two things this movie does very, very well. Um, first of all, you know, this the, the foreclosures and the housing crisis that everyone went through years ago and we're still going through um this is one of the first movies i've seen that really chronicled what it must have been like to have gone through such a horrible life-altering event and the scenes where he's foreclosing on people and kicking them out i mean watching how these people react like some bargain some get angry some try to get violent um there's one older gentleman who looks like he might have alzheimer's doesn't know where he is where his wife is what's going on that was heartbreaking that was that was awful these these scenes are like gut wrenching. I mean, it's I, when I walked out, they're like, you know, what'd you think? I'm like, that was a real life horror film. Um, it's like I, my, my review for Big Shiny is like, just because it wasn't some maniac showing up at your house with a machete 
doesn't mean that some maniac showing up in your house with a notarized letter from the bank can't destroy your life just as much. Um, and the acting in this movie is just phenomenal, too. I mean, even just the bit parts, like the old gentleman who was kicked out and these, these families just getting ruined. Every single person in this movie acts their asses off. And no more than Michael Shannon and Andrew Garfield. I mean, people can talk crap on Amazing Spider-Man all they want. Andrew Garfield was not the problem with those movies. He was a great Peter Parker. He's a great actor. He was great in Social Network. He's amazing in this. Uh, he's just—he's an everyman. He cares about his family. He's trying to do what's right, and he's being led down towards the dark side. But even his performance pales in comparison to Michael Shannon. Um, I was really kind of hoping this would be more of a Spider-Man versus General Zod scenario. Didn't quite turn into that. But every single moment Michael Shannon's on scene, I mean, he's just chewing up scenery. He's sitting there puffing on his little e-cig the whole time, and he's just this maniacal, evil bastard. And, like, you know, at first they try to humanize him by explaining why someone would want to take this job. Why would someone want to be the person to ruin people's lives? And he said, basically, it was me or them, and I chose me. And I can't argue with that. In, in some circumstances, I would have to say, I would choose me over people I don't know. But then they, they, they turn away from that, and you get to see what a horrible person he is, screwing people over, just evil. One of the best films I've seen on screen in a long time. So there are some problems with it, but before we get into that, Andy, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, he he is the biggest villain that I've seen in any movie this entire year because it's real. And that is both the thing that is the best about this movie and the thing that I hated about this movie. I, I, I want to throw this out there that I think that this movie is probably potentially triggering to anyone who has dealt with foreclosure, eviction, uh, or, or anything like that. And I mean, geez, this movie, this movie made me want to vote for Bernie Sanders and then (laughs) that he's not being, uh, harsh enough on wall street and the banks. Like it, it's just awful. And the system is completely rigged against people. Um, the other problem that I had with this movie is it really dates itself. And I, I felt like that actually defangs it a little because we think that the foreclosure crisis all happened 2008 to 2010. And that's mostly gone. Actually, in 2010, uh, you know, they had actually made uh, they'd actually made a lot of policies that helped people stay in their homes even when they were in foreclosure because it created these impossible situations mm-hmm. those programs have now expired and it's the wild west for for banks right now and so i i felt like this movie was trying to be very social socially responsible but um in dating itself so much. I mean, so much so that Michael Shannon literally says, hey, it's 2010, you gotta blah, 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 blah. Not to mention all the iPhone 4s everywhere. (laughs) And long, lingering shots of iPhone 4s all (laughs) over the place. And, And so either they filmed this in 2010 and it's just taken them that long to get it finished, which is, which happens with a lot of indie movies. That's, that's totally fine. Um, but I felt that that did a, a disservice because this is still happening, folks. Yeah. And this is still something we need to get our handle on because it's ridiculous. And this movie is like 
a uh, a morality play, and there's uh, you know Andrew Garfield makes this deal with the devil with Michael Shannon, and that's what this is all about: is making a deal with the devil to try and get that thing that you want. The other moral that we learned from here. Don't ever get behind on your mortgage, people, because <laughs> you will get so screwed. The entire system is rigged against you, and you have no recompense. So uh, just don't do it. Um, that being said, yeah, the performances are where this is at. And to give you an idea of just how stone cold Michael Shannon is in this movie... The opening scene, the first thing that you see in this movie is a guy slumped over a toilet in a house uh, with blood and what is probably his brain splattered everywhere. And you hear the cops, you hear him talking in the background. Obviously, this is a foreclosure that went badly and he barricaded himself inside his bathroom and shot himself. And the cops are like, Hey, we need you to make a statement. And he's like, I got three more of these I got to go to. Sorry, guys. No, Mr. Carver, you have to make a statement. Well, you know, we showed up here with some pizzas and they had anchovies on them and he didn't like anchovies. So he got upset and killed himself. What do you want me to say? I got to go. Oh, that's his wife. You go talk to her. She's upset because she wanted Chinese food. Sorry, guys. I got to go. And you're like, this guy is so evil. Is like beyond yeah. evil, and I, like I, this, uh, yeah. Um, the so despite me having some problems with the film, yeah, the performances were really what to see here. I didn't like it quite as much as you. I'm at six out of ten. Uh, with that big trigger warning and caveat for anyone who's had to deal with this, because I think it might be too intense and might. Um, might trigger a lot of uh, you know really traumatic experiences for everyone else. It'll helpfully hopefully help you feel some empathy for just how traumatic uh, this whole thing is of what it's like to lose a home. Yeah, and uh, what, what you mentioned before was just you know just deal with the devil. It, it was it was very much a, a Faustian play. It's like you know what do you do you you you, you, know, you make a deal with this Mistoffelian character who's sitting there gleefully watching you morph into the the horrible person he is and. Uh, yeah, this, the movie opens up with him just being a complete horrible sob, and then they try to kind of humanize him a bit, and then they're like, "No, screw it. He is just this bad person." Uh, the one thing I almost wish they kind of did more of was, you know, they they set a lot of little trips and traps for Andrew Garfield's character to fall into, and he kind of did, and you could see there's that lust in his eyes for like the, you know, the, the, the stuff that Michael Shannon's character has. But they didn't really play off it strong enough. I mean, he's out there doing these horrible, horrible things, and you never really felt like. I mean, so his first foreclosure, he's he's feeling horrible. He's almost crying. He's you know really empathizing with the family, and then you see his progression of getting worse and worse and worse, and then he gets his redemption moment in the end. And I'm not going to tell you what happens, but it almost feels like there were there's very little, very few consequences to what happened. Um. Yes, there were maybe, you know, maybe some legal, legal action would have taken place. And, you know, but you're assuming he'll get through it all. He'll do this, that, his family will come back to him. So it was almost like they were too afraid to let him go all the way evil, but also didn't let him suffer the consequences for going as evil as he did. 
So that was kind of a sticking point for me. Um, also, as was a, for some reason, that was a huge, huge problem. Like I'd say 80% of the movie that's not Sundance this year had these really horrible endings where it was like the writer just yep. gets to the end and he throws up his hands like, all right, well, it's happy hour, let's go. And it just ends. And this one does. It just, there's a word of dialogue. You know, the two characters glare at each other and credits roll. And you're like, really? Like, you could have given us, you know, we don't need a, a paragraph of text saying what happened a la, you know, maximum overdrive. But it would have been nice just to, you know, give me three or four more minutes and kind of show me what happened because it really is an ambiguous... I like movies that kind of let you decide what happens in the end, like Inception. You know, is he awake? Is he asleep? What's going on? Because they give you some hints. You know, there's, tra- there's a trail of breadcrumbs you can follow to get to some kind of a logical conclusion. This one didn't have it. So, yeah. I do like it more than you. I'm actually at an eight, uh, just because the performances are great. It's gut-wrenching horror film, you know, of, of real-life proportions. It's just, it's marred by a couple things that I wish could have been done differently or maybe would have just been explained better so yeah i you know this was an independent film adam so it's fairly possible they ran out of film stock and you know, <laughs> so they just had to stop oh sorry we ran out we can't we can't oh, anymore no i'm sorry we can't go to best buy and send 10 bucks on sd card we just don't have the money for it i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> we ran out we we couldn't we couldn't be anymore so yeah. cut Hi. scene done Yep. So, uh, overall, it. you know, movie that, we, you know, Andy liked better, I liked a lot more. Uh, it's it's uh, a very limited around. release, so I, I don't know, it's, I know it was, it actually released uh, a week or two ago, but it's just finally kind of making it out to different markets, so if it's in your area, I highly recommend it, but it might be something you might have to wait for video on demand or um, possibly like your DirecTV or Comcast, so. Yep. But, moving from the serious stuff to kind of more fun things... Uh, we're back with our Halloween movie recommendations of the week. So last week we asked everyone to vote on uh, aliens, zombies, or funny horror movies. And this week you guys chose aliens. So Andy, what'd you come up with? So the whole reason that I wanted to do aliens because I really wanted to talk about this movie. And that is Attack the Block. Uh, Joe Cornish's movie from 2011 about a group of London street toughs who have to defend their block their giant uh urban building projects isn't it? yeah projects building in london uh against an alien invasion of these crazy cool glowy teeth dog alien creatures that yeah. are just they're just oh they i are... thought those were their eyes the first time i saw it. for the first half of the movie i was like it took me to get that, oh, those are their teeth. <laughs> yeah. No, it, the, they are cool-looking aliens. And the fact that they've got big glowing teeth and they're giant and hairy. And uh, I just thought it was a really cool design and the way that they ended up revealing them. Um, but I I really like this movie for another reason. And the the other main reason to see this is because we're only a few weeks away now from Star Wars. I mean... Mm-hmm. Uh, more than a few, but close enough. We're about uh, eight weeks out, almost. Yep. Like nine weeks out. Yep. So not not very long. Uh, and this was John Boyega's big breakout role. Uh, oh, that's plays, right. Yes. Yeah, he, he plays Moses, uh, who's the head of this gang of toughs. And, you know, he's he's got this really thick East End uh, London accent. And he's like, 
we got attack we got to protect a block <laughs> <laughs> you you almost like if if you can find this movie watch it with the subtitles on because you probably need it <laughs> but uh, it's it's great uh and i i'm sure that they will have made him enunciate a tiny bit better for star wars but he's <laughs> well if if uh, if uh, his his appearance at comic-con is anything to talk about uh, apparently uh, Jeremiah and Jim Martin both said that yes, he's he enunciates a lot better and he can really rile a crowd. So, <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, this movie is fun. Uh, there's a lot of action in it. It's a great alien invasion movie. It's also really funny. Um, Nick Frost is in it as uh, a weed dealer, and they oh, have some fun with that. Yeah, and so I mean, it's it's Joe Cornish. So uh, if you're at all familiar. With his other movies, this is fairly uh, along the the same the same lines as as a lot of those. So, um, you know, he was he was involved with with Ant Man, uh, Hot Fuzz. This this is a really really fun movie, and it's it's spooky, it's scary. There's action, there's gunplay, there's big giant cool looking alien monsters, there's comedy. I, I just love it. So uh, go check it out. Now's the time to do it. And um, gather all your Star Wars friends around with you and be like, let's watch Attack <laughs> the Block at Halloween. And we'll all we'll all watch John Boyega and, and try and figure out who the heck his character is <laughs> in Star Wars. Um, I've, I've got the action figures, and I still don't know who he is. So. <laughs> See, it, it's funny because... Uh... You know, when you were mentioning that was the movie you were picking, uh, I liked it a lot, and you know, but I didn't fall in love with it. And I've been thinking back and forth for well since last night when we were discussing this, like why, you know, what didn't like about it? And I finally figured out what it was. Uh, I had just purchased my first nice HD TV, and it was the second movie I'd ever seen in Blu-ray on a nice TV. So I think I was kind of distracted by the whole like, holy crap, it looks real kind of thing, but I couldn't focus on the movie. Uh, can you guess what the first one I saw though was right before it? Showgirls. No, Cowboys I don't. Cowboys and Aliens. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so we were kind of in a in an alien kick, and we we were all just kind of sitting there. My buddy uh, Joey was there with us, and we were watching. It and he's like, "This looks weird." I'm like, "I know." And so we couldn't concentrate. So I think I need to go back again now that I'm over that phase to maybe watch it again. But yeah, I remember watching it, having a lot of fun. It's got a lot of really cool little jokes in it. Um, it's actually pretty like you mentioned pretty gory and over the top for a alien movie uh yeah. and i was a, I, I still am a huge fan of uh cockney rhyming slang because i was i got a huge kick from uh green street hooligans and this very much does that with these you know east end accents so i had fun with it but i do want to go watch it again now that i got over my blu-ray paranoia at the beginning of having a tv and, and catching it again yeah now now you're gonna be like this looks terrible. Where's the 4K version of this movie? That's why TV's upscale. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually picked They Live by John Carpenter. So I know yeah. this movie kind of got a bit back in the spotlight uh, with the passing of Rowdy Roddy Piper a couple months ago. And that's actually uh, why I, I saw it for the first time. I mean, you know, I worked at Blockbuster for years, saw hundreds and hundreds of movies. And this is one that was always on the list, and I just never got around <clears throat> to actually seeing. You know, again... Kill me if you want to, but there's thousands and thousands of movies out there. Yep. I can only watch so many. But this was really fun. 
Um, like I said, Roddy Piper stars in it, and he plays an unnamed character who we found out eventually is named John Nada. And he's a construction worker <clears throat> in Los Angeles, and, you know, it's people are just kind of doing their jobs, going about their day-to-day business. Um, work, he's been unemployed, and so he ends up setting up camp at this kind of shanty town, and they notice that there's this, you know, this church across the street, and they always see the singing and all this weird stuff happening. Um, there's a blind preacher acting odd. So one day he goes over there, breaks in the church, and he finds um, these, you know, these boxes full of glasses, you know, these sunglasses. What the hell is this? And they've got, you know, all these signs everywhere that says they live, we sleep. And he's like, this is a cult. What's going on? Um, well, the next day, the police come <clears throat> uh, with bulldozers, bulldozers, break the shanty town down, go to the church. He escapes with some of the sunglasses. And when he puts them on, the movie goes from color <clears throat> to black and white. And he starts noticing that walking around with normal people are these aliens. And looking everywhere has all these crazy like messages. So he picks up a magazine or a book. And with the glasses on, he opens it up. And one page says, bye. The other one says, do not question authority. Takes the glasses off. And it's you know, like a People magazine with a huge thing about celebrities and all this crazy stuff no one should care about what we do. He puts it back down, looks at his hand. He's carrying money. And it says, this is your God now. So he starts to realize that, you know, oh my gosh, something crazy is happening. And going through everything, he finds out that these aliens have invaded the earth and they've taken over politics and the news and the media. And they're basically trying to keep us dull, stupid, and just going with the flow and obeying what everyone's telling us to do to keep us docile. I mean, there's signs everywhere that say, you know, work eight hours, sleep eight hours, play eight hours. There's drones flying around watching people. And when the aliens notice that he can see, all of a sudden he's a wanted man, the cops come after him, and all this crazy stuff happens. But uh, it's a really fun movie. It's really a good pointed commentary on, you know, life in the 80s was all about Reaganomics, Greed is Good, Wall Street. Um, you can almost say it's even, you know, nowadays with you know, Edward Snowden and we're all being watched and, you know, the Patriot taking away our liberties. And again, the point of this podcast isn't to be political, but you can draw parallels from what happened then to what's going on now. And sure. um, there's a really awesome scene that everyone knows. There's two awesome scenes. Um, when he walks in the bank with a shotgun, he's like, you know, I'm here to kick ass and chew bubble, oh, chew bubble gum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubble gum. And everyone knows that, but most people don't know where that came from. Um, so that was, that's, it's fun to go back and see that. And then there's a scene where he's has a friend, Frank Armitage, played by Keith David. And he's trying to show him, like, look, you need to put these glasses on. You've got to see what's going on. This is crazy. He's like, no, man, no. He's like, I don't want to see it. So they get in this huge drawn-out fight that makes the chicken fight from Family Guy look like a little, like, two-minute skit. Um, and what's really funny was years and years and years ago, South Park had fully recreated that in their episode Cripple Fight, where uh, Jimmy, who is the other handy capable kid, comes to South Park, and Timmy hates him, and they get in this huge, long, drawn-out fight for, like, half the episode, and it's literally a shot-for-shot remake of what happens in this film. Until, you know, so that was, it was kind of funny going back and watching it and being like, I know what's going to happen next. And they do this, and they do this, and they do this. Uh, but yeah, They Live, it's great social and political commentary. It's funny. Uh, it's John Carpenter doing what John Carpenter does best. Uh, and it's weird, but like, I talk to a lot of people and they haven't even heard of it, let alone seen it. So if you haven't, I don't, it's not on Netflix, but I know they just came out with a special anniversary edition on Blu-ray which you can pick up for like 10, 15 bucks at Amazon, Best Buy, Target, Grey Whale, whatever you kind of indie store you have around you. 
but I highly recommend you check it out. Yeah, totally. And, you know, you mentioned that you didn't see this until uh, it came out with, with the passing of Rowdy Roddy Piper. Mm-hmm. Um, I had never heard of this film until Cripple Fight and someone yeah, clued exactly, me into, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and someone clued me into, oh, that's from a movie. That's from this movie, They Live. And I'm like, what? And they're like, oh, yeah, you've got to see it. It's this great John Carpenter movie with Rowdy Roddy Piper. And I'm like, there's no such thing as a movie with Rowdy Roddy Piper. <laughs> Come on. And uh, yeah, so uh, it's it's great. And um, a lot of the very subversive elements and this idea that there's like this weird conformity agenda coming down on all of us. I saw them really draw a lot from that in the Lego movie mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, in the oddest of places. So I think that, you know, they live has for being such a very obscure movie. I think really has been incredibly influential even for many of us who don't know and who haven't seen it, who haven't put on the glasses of, of having seen they live. So I completely agree. Uh, It's, it's an intense movie. It's a lot of fun. And I think important for our time as much as it was 20 years ago. Uh, And you you mentioned that uh, also, Anyone who's familiar with the Devil May Cry video game series, uh, they did a recent reboot. They just called it DMC, Devil May Cry. And it's almost the same storyline because he's, you know, in, in the game, he's a Nephilim, which means he's half angel, half demon. And he knows all about the fact that the demons control, you know, control the world. I know demons were last week, but still, um, you know, people on the TV are talking about stuff. You've got this guy who's like a, a um, Rush Limbaugh TV character. You know, spouting lies, and the guy in charge of the whole baking system is this evil kind of like Satan demon lord. And everyone's addicted to this, uh, I can't remember what the name of the drink is, but it's an energy drink, and the commercials say, oh, it'll make you strong and virile and handsome, and women will throw themselves at you, and men will throw themselves at you. Well, one of the levels is you actually go to the factory where they make it, and it's this nasty giant demon that's pretty much defecating and puking into the drink, and that's what everyone's drinking. They ripped that off from Futurama. That's the Slurm Factory from that same thing. But I know. but it is too. Like there was, there's cameras everywhere watching you, and there's parts of the game where you actually go into limbo and you see what's really going on. And so the whole time I was watching They Live, I was like, "That's you know, DMC got that. They did this. They did that." So yeah. well, even though the, Futurama did it too, it was the, the homage was from this movie as well. Yeah, that that whole line about I'm here to uh, kick ass and chew bubble gum. I first heard that from Duke Nukem and that's where I think a lot of people heard it. And yeah. So again, I mean, this, this movie has shown up in so many different places. It's great. Yeah. So definitely want to go check out. Um, Now, as far as for next week, uh, Andy, what's your pick for, well, again, we want everyone to vote again. We'll put this up on our Facebook. So Andy, what's your pick for next week? My pick again, it was the same as the first week. Disney. Come on, you guys. <laughs> Disney and not the Nightmare Before Christmas because we're we're not going to do that. But there's so much here with Disney. I guarantee you, there's a lot of fun. At, we Adam and I before we started recording today, we're talking about all the cool Disney stuff that yes. is Halloweeny. There's a lot to mine here, and everything from like where Disney's actually trying to make scary movies for kids, stuff like Watcher in the Woods or Escape to Witch Mountain, 
um, to something uh, wicked this way comes. Yeah. So uh, hocus pocus, <laughs> <laughs> which I hate, but we could. And and all of the classic Disney shorts, Ichabod and Mister Toad, and there's a lot here, folks. So but I'm telling you, Disney, we got to do Disney. And then my holdover is from last week. What Brooks suggested was funny horror movies. Uh, we we did an interview with uh, the cast and crew of Evil Dead the Musical, which we'll hopefully get up shortly for you. Yep. But we asked them one of the questions, and one thing they brought up was Cabin in the Woods, because that's one of my favorite of all times. It's, it's tremendously funny, also kind of bloody, gory, and stupid. Uh, you know, uh, Tucker and Dale versus Evil is a great one. So Shaun of the Dead. There's so many really great that have now become almost horror movie classics that prove you can still have a scary or even just a good movie that's got some of the cool scary elements in it that's still funny as hell. So you don't have to be jumping out of your seat every five seconds to make it a good movie. So, um, yeah, this week we want you to vote on Disney versus funny. Yep. Ghostbusters, Young Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. Abbott and Costello meet... The Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yeah, there, there's so much here. Yeah, so we're giving you guys a pretty, pretty large group of movies to choose from. So we'll get this up and then comment, like, say whatever you want, and then next week we'll get back to you and we'll we'll go over those. So with that being said, that'll take us to the end of this week's episode. Uh, next week though, we do have some cool movies. I'm really excited for well, one. I'm really excited for. Uh, they're both Halloween themed movies, so that's kind of cool. Uh, we've got Crimson Peak, which is Guillermo del Toro's foray back into the horror genre, which he does extremely well. Uh, tar- starring Tom Hiddleston for all you ladies and gentlemen who appreciate him. And then Goosebumps, which is the kind of reimagining, retelling of the R.L. Stein classic kids' scary movie book series uh, starring Jack Black. So we'll see how that turns out. I know I've got a lot of friends. Goosebumps, my favorite books. <laughs> I've got a lot of uh, friends whose kids are dying to see that one. So we, hopefully we'll see that. We've also got a couple more, uh, Bridge of Spies. Which uh, I didn't get to see, but I think you did. Uh, yeah, well, I've not seen it yet, okay. but very soon. And then um, Beasts of No Nation, which is coming out on Netflix, but has Idris Elba. And uh, I'm, I'm going to want to talk about this because, I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's a Hollywood movie. It's just going straight to Netflix. Huh. We'll let you know. So, yep. um, yeah, so we'll be going over those next week, and we look forward to talking to you. Hail Satan, and have a lovely afternoon. Punk ass tripping, but it's alright. Homie scored a key, he's gonna fly. Punk ass fly. Cause the boys in the hood are all
always hard. Come talk in that trash and we'll pull your card. Knowing nothing in life but to be legit. Don't quote me, boy, I ain't said shit.